Comic Book Herald Live. Anybody hearing this? Are we coming through? Let me know here in the chat if you're hearing what I'm saying. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. If you're having any issues here on the live stream with audio or video, let me know. Let me know. I know things are looking good, at least if you can see them. But if you can't see them, how are they coming through? I am performing today. Hurt. I'm playing, this is, listen, is it my MJ flu game? Not quite. Not quite. I didn't spit on a pizza the night before to make myself ill. Um, But I had a surgery this morning. Was it an elective surgery? Yes. Did I drive myself home and go back to work? Yes. Did I still have a surgery this morning? Absolutely. Um, So I just think, give me a little leeway. Give me a little space if I'm a little more zoned out than usual. That's what's happening. I am I am going through not a medical emergency, <laughs> but some stuff, okay? Uh, but again, I'm debuting founder and editor-in-chief of Comic Book Herald. We're doing a day after the comics came out live stream. So some of us may even have had a chance to process information and think about what's happening. You know... I feel like I probably don't get enough credit for doing Wednesday live streams day of these comics. I don't get these comics in advance from the big two. I get every other publisher, but I don't get big two stuff in advance, right? So like, I don't know what's going to happen any more than you do. And I got to process that puppy and come on a stream and talk through it day of when I've read it once and thought about it for about 15 seconds. Incredible, incredible that that happens, isn't it? Don't, don't we all think? <laughs> uh, no, I've had a whole day. I, I read Ultimate Universe 1 still. It's not like I would have read it again anyway. <laughs> I'm putting that much prep work into this. Uh, we're going to talk about the Ultimate Universe because Ultimate Universe number one came out yesterday from Jonathan Hickman, Stefano Caselli, including probably the most interesting piece of the whole thing, which was the backup two-page story setting the stage for Ultimate X-Men by Peach Momoko. Um I'm seeing here the suggestion from Birdnerd, you should always do Thursday streams instead. Not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, would that actually be better? Let's hear it. Let's hear it here in the live chat. If you're here, would you actually prefer a Thursday stream so you yourselves maybe could go? Would you? Would there be bigger turnout because you've had a chance to read the comics? Um, I mean, I do it like we're so tied as comics nerds to Wednesday as that's new comic book day. And it's a big deal. DC's already blown that up obviously for a number of years now, because they release their new stuff on Tuesdays. Um, so Wednesday feels like it has a weight and a power in the world of comics. Uh, but it's not, I mean, it's not special <laughs> actually. And it's certainly not easier to do on Wednesdays. Wow. Just resounding, resounding yeses on Thursday streams could this input would have been so valuable 
<laughs> for the past three to four years. Interesting. Interesting. Everybody wants a Thursday. Because, I mean, the appeal of the Wednesday is this is hot off the presses, baby. This is like the first, first take. That, is that name taken? Could I call the show? Can I call CBH Live first take? I don't think I've heard of one of those before. Maybe we could rebrand. Um, that's the appeal, right? Is like day of, boom, we're going to talk about these things immediately. But a lot of you probably, you're like, no, I, what? I work. What are you doing? <laughs> I have to go get these books. Okay. Interesting. I'm going to weigh this. I'm going to weigh this, this, uh, this info. We may have to switch to Thursdays. I don't know. Let's see. I mean, probably viewership is going to be similar. I think, you know, the biggest thing obviously is, is settling into a routine. And just doing it with some consistency, which, of course, I'm fantastic at. So we're going to talk Ultimate Universe today. We're going to talk X-Men Forever announcement that came out today. Um, and then, you know, I do want to talk a little bit. There were all these reports that broke yesterday about the MCU. There was a big story about how they're in trouble and documenting, you know, some combination of hearsay, rumor, and reported fact that I would say was it's weird how new it all felt. I guess it was just sort of documented and put on paper for the first time, probably for a lot of folks. Um, Cause it's like, it's like, yeah, the MCU struggling. It's like, I know <laughs> I was not unaware. Um, we, we have been living that post end game to varying degrees, right? Like clearly, clearly things have been slumping. Uh, I, I'll never understand and this is true of all fandoms, but like the the segments of MCU fandom that are just cannot accept that their team is on a losing streak, you know, like like you have these die. Maybe some of you are listening right now, right? But you have these diehard segments of fandom that are like, no, everything is amazing. Like it, you know, it's like, like like if you're rooting for the Bulls right now, you know, and you're like NBA Finals, here we come, and you're like you're genuine about that. It's like it's like just just be honest. Just be honest with the state of things. We are not NBA Finals bound. Um, that's that's definitely where the MCU is. I don't think it's unrecoverable. I don't think anything's particularly surprising. Uh, I also think there's a pretty easy solve, frankly. And people are twisting themselves in knots trying to come up with solves for the MCU. And what's the real problem? I actually think it's incredibly simple. It's incredibly simple. Maybe too late to reclaim because, you know, culture moves. Like, like, the MCU being as big as it was, and it's past tense, the MCU being as big as it was is preposterous. It's crazy that ever happened. <laughs> like, we hit a point in 2019 where Endgame became the biggest thing in the world, biggest movie in the world, and it was like, it had this feeling of like it was always meant to be. Superheroes were always meant to be the juggernauts, and there's no topping them, and they're going to be the juggernauts forever. It's even going to be a juggernaut movie, probably, when the X-Men make it over to the MCU. And it's like, the fact that they were able to ride a high and create a franchise for a decade plus in culture is insane. N nothing had ever done that in the same way. Like, like, it defies history, it defies trends, it defies everything we know. The idea that this wouldn't take a step back at some point, of course, of course. Okay, um, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We'll go in the order that y'all prefer. Getting your questions, getting your thoughts here on the live stream. Uh, I think we probably have to start, have to start with the Ultimate Universe. 
Let's do that. Ultimate Universe number one came out yesterday. Talk a little Ultimate Comics, and then we'll move along. Again, get in your thoughts and questions. For the record, this is not a do-rec. I saw, <laughs> saw a note. There is, in fact, a cap on the back of this hat. Uh, I don't know. Can I pull off a do-rag? I feel like that's a resounding no. But if this gives the impression that that is what I am trying to do, then that may be a conversation that we need to have. <laughs> that may be a conversation we need to have. Um, okay, let's talk Ultimate Universe number one. Okay, this book was written by Jonathan Hickman. We had art by Stefano Caselli. Um I'm I'm kind of allowing myself to get incredibly excited about the Ultimate Universe relaunch here coming in 2024. I I think if you were with me talking through Ultimate Invasion, I was pretty reasonably let down uh, by that miniseries. You know, I think a lot of folks were. Uh, I, I think it did not measure up to the expectations of a new, like, Jonathan Hickman led project, you know, and I think there are good reasons for that. Um, I don't know that it was always going to be a Hickman led thing. And I think he salvaged what he could, but you know, then I reread it as I was kind of, you know, breaking that news for pop first about the ultimate universe relaunches. I saw the titles. We're going to have an ultimate Spider-Man by Jonathan Hickman and Marco Cicchetto. Great creative team. It's going to be Peter and Mary Jane married, or at least, you know, a family with two kids a boy and a girl, they're doing Family Spidey, which Amazing Spider-Man has dragged its heels kicking and screaming away from for decades now, right? Um, and, and then there's going to be Ultimate X-Men led by Peach Momoko writing and drawing, which is a real bold swing, a genuinely interesting bold string, bold string, bold swing on the creative front. And then you have Ultimate Black Panther, which as a title is like, hell yeah, this should be one of the big three launches. You got Brian Edward Hill and uh, Stefano Caselli. We'll see if they can they can live up to the expectations and the hype. That's the one I'm definitely the least sure about. Listen, Brian Edward Hill, interesting writer, has fallen angels to their name. That's a warning. That's a warning sign. That makes me pause. I'm going to pause before I read and consider the first several issues there. I hope they're fantastic. I hope everyone's bringing their A game. Okay. Um, three really interesting sounding titles. And the more, you know, when, you, when I went back and reread Ultimate Invasion, and now reading Ultimate Universe number one, I don't know that it's the best possible setup, but it, th there are two elements to Hickman's setup that are actually very interesting. One is you have an Ultimate Universe where the maker disrupted the beginnings of the familiar heroes for the vast majority of the heroes that we know, right? So like Thor uh, exists and is basically the same character, but he never became, never was in line to be king of Asgard. Um, you know, the maker schemed with Loki to have Thor imprisoned for quite some time. So he's been in a different position. You know, you have Tony Stark is not the Iron Man. He's the son of the Iron Man, Howard Stark. Now he's going by Iron Lad. And there's probably some kangy, timey-wimey stuff. Cap seems to be pretty similar. He's been on ice this whole time. Um, but he's been, you know, captured by the Maker now or for some time. We'll see what can actually manifest there. But the point is, like, there's no 
or there hasn't been a Spider-Man to this point. There's all these familiar heroes that were kind of stopped ahead of their time. The universe didn't become 616. It didn't even become the 1610 of all of these characters across the Marvel multiverse getting to be who we know them to be. What's that going to mean for X-Men? We still don't know really in any way. You know, that's got to take shape. So the setup in that regard for the Ultimate Universe now is, okay, how are these characters going to come to life? Which of them are going to get a second chance with the maker sort of frozen on ice? And then you've got a pretty classic Hickman experiment, which is you have a shadowy cabal looking to rule the world, and you have the newly formed Ultimates essentially in opposition to them trying to break free from the maker and this cabal's design for their world. What is interesting here is on the side of the cabal, you don't have the maker anymore. He's trapped inside the city for two years. So it also gives you a a window, like there's a two-year window before the city opens again. And they have that two-year stretch to try to make the world to their image and prepare for the the reemergence of the maker, which is an interesting setup. Um, But then it also, you know, it it gives you the Hulk as part of the shadowy cabal. It gives you Moon Knight, um, or, you know, they're not calling him that, right? But it's this Khonshu and and Ra and these players, Viper, Ileana Rasputin, Colossus. You have some known players who are a part of this, and you're going to have them sort of waging their various games in order to decide who actually gets to shape the destiny of this ultimate universe. It's kind of interesting. It is. Um, I'm seeing here the question from Baku Blade. Do you think this new ultimate universe should have been called something else? I saw some people say it was confusing. Okay, so that's definitely one of the knocks against this approach is like, it would actually be hard to make it less (laughs) user-friendly. So it kind of depends on what you want from an Ultimate Universe relaunch, right? If you think the Ultimate Universe should be a modernized, easiest possible entry point landscape for new readers trying to get into Marvel, then this is a bad approach. It's continuity heavy. Like it's already steeped (laughs) <laughs> in the continuity of both the previous Ultimate Universe and Earth-616 and all of the Maker's backstory and everything that comes with that, right? Which is, you know, Hickman talked about in press, like, it's a, okay, it's a book you could only do in superhero comics, and he's right, and then you're leveraging continuity, and that can be a good thing, but it does make it much harder for new readers to walk into Ultimate Invasion and Ultimate Universe. Like, like if you pick up Ultimate Universe as your kickoff, this one shot is already steeped in the continuity of Ultimate Invasion, which is in it of itself steeped in the continuity of everything else that came before. I, I'm kind of unbothered by that, I guess partially because, I listen, I am that audience that is being targeted, those continuity-obsessed nerds who've already read all this stuff, right? But also because the thing that I want most from the Ultimate Universe is I want it to be a very specific creative vision that will last for approximately five to six years and then be done and then make way for a new Ultimate Universe relaunch that gives way to a new vision for a remade quote-unquote Ultimate Universe. 
I like the Tom Taylor injustice model of giving a handful of select creators the chance to shape the entirety of the Marvel Universe in a limited amount of books. One of the reasons Injustice was so successful is because you can pick up and read all of Injustice. This is also a huge part of the appeal of the original Ultimate Universe. It's not just the quality, right? It's not just that, oh, those books are awesome or something. That is often not true. It's that you can read all of Marvel's Ultimate Universe. It is bingeable. It is consumable, as opposed to 616, where despite the fact that many fans ask how and want to try, it's a bad idea. It's an unhealthy behavior <laughs> to try to read all of 616. Believe me, I've done it. Not safe. <laughs> Don't try this at home. Okay? But you can read all of the Ultimate Universe. It is a huge part of why it's appealing. So, like, that's one of my huge requests for the relaunch is keep it consumable. If this, if these three books have a huge amount of success, okay, and I, I kind of hope they do, but if they're all fantastic, please, Marvel, don't then blow it up into, oh, well, we better have 10 ultimate books. That you're immediately undoing one of your greatest strengths. This ultimate universe should be a center of excellence. Every book coming out should be should be saying, we believe so strongly in the quality and the vision of this book that it is one of our three, right? There's a limit, like in, in the scarcity of that, you're creating a sense of confidence, you're creating a sense of, of quality, and you're, make, you're keeping this universe wholly consumable and appealing. Now, this runs in complete opposition to Marvel's typical uh, uh, business, you know, standard operating procedure, right? In 616, it's flood the market and see what sticks. And as a fan and as a consumer, that approach kind of sucks. You know, I, I don't think I'm going to be in the minority saying Marvel publishes too many comic books, <laughs> right? I imagine that's a pretty popular opinion because it's true. They do. Just look at the X line, right? We talk about this all the time now. Fall of X, if that's a tight five and every book is feeling pretty essential, that's a much cooler experience as a fan where you're like, I can read these five books and I can get all of the Fall of X and I feel like everything at least has the chance to matter. When there's 13 or 14 or whatever there are and it feels like three or four of those series shouldn't even have made it off the cutting room floor, maybe three of them are essential. You know, it dilutes the product. It really does. Um, Marvel has business reasons for doing this. They are not reasons that lead to higher average quality per title. They dilute the books. Okay? So I really like the idea of the Ultimate Universe keeping to three, you know, having success, maybe expand it to five books at a time. I mean, even at its peak... I don't know that the original Ultimate Universe line had more than like five titles going at once, you know? Um, and again, after like five years, every at the start of every decade, if there is an Ultimate Universe going, it should end. Because the one, one of the big problems that the original had was 
it did ultimatum and it ended the ultimate universe and then it kept going for another seven years. <laughs> if you want to end the thing, do it. And then you can always relaunch it. What does Marvel love more than a relaunch? Everybody wins here, right? Even if it feels like things are going great. Calvin Johnson, that puppy. Barry Sanders, that puppy. Get out while the getting's good. Much easier said than done. But like that is that is my second main wish for this ultimate. My, my third wish, I do have three wishes. My third wish is keep this thing weird. Okay, it's probably going in the scroll here of the images. There are the two preview pages of Peach Momoko's Ultimate X-Men. And the first one is like doing this manga body horror Junji Ito FLCL thing <laughs> of a young mutant discovering a small hair on their forehead and pulling out a slimy, gross other mutant out of their forehead. It is so unlike what the current X-Men experience is like. It, it is tapping into just the weirdness and the adolescent insecurity through the mutant metaphor. You know, like if the book's gonna feel like that sometimes, it's going to do so flipping well. I have never in my many years of sharing Marvel previews to a social media audience seen a higher approval rating than Peach Momoko's weird ingrown hair body horror <laughs> everyone is either like ew gross i love it or wants more keep these books weird that the ultimate universe is the space where marvel creators should be allowed to do things they either can't or are less likely to be allowed to do in 616 it should be strange it should take giant swings right do not replicate what has been done. We have those stories. Why does that need to be an ultimate universe story? You know, got to be weird. Should be weird. And it's you're going to have success doing that. You know, so I'm, I'm like pretty interested in where this is going. Way more than I thought I'd be, honestly. So ultimate universe number one, you know, as an issue, I thought was fine. I'm kind of curious now. So Hickman's writing Ultimate Spider-Man. And again, I'm talking about the value of, of limited books and how there's three comics that are going to be coming out January, February, March. We don't know anything beyond that. You know, the, the big elephant in the room is like, well, what the heck's going to happen with the Ultimates? Because this Ultimate Universe book is an Ultimates book. It sets the stage for the shadowy cabal. What are they? They have a name, right? The Children of Light or I don't, what do they call themselves? Something. Um, but they, you know, frame Tony Stark for a terrorist attack. And uh, so there, I guess Tony's going to be teenage terrorist. He's got Cap now. He's got um, Reed Richards in Doctor Doom costume, which looks amazing. He's got Thor. They got Lady Sif on their Ultimate Squad. But like, there's no Ultimates book. So how's that stuff? Is that going to be a part of the fabric? Are those threads really going to get touched on? Is that is that all? I mean, the most likely scenario is that all just gets saved until an Ultimates title launches. One of the challenges you're going to have here, too, is it kind of feels like Hickman has to write Ultimates, you know, having set the stage. You know, I talked about this recently with – I was talking about the lessons we've learned from the Krakoa era of X-Men. And I think one of the big lessons, if you're Marvel or DC, 
and you have a creator step in to give their vision to a franchise is you can't really think it's plausible for them to hand it over to someone else. It breaks fans' brains. If you do a house and powers written by Jonathan Hickman and then tell them, well, somebody else is going to see it through to the conclusion. Comics fans cannot work with that, (laughs) you know? Um, and then you get into these, it, it just, even if, even if I was of the opinion and I'm not necessarily, well, I don't know. Kind of like, even if I was of the opinion that Kieran Gillen is, you know, I prefer their work to Hickman's or I prefer Al Ewing's work to Hickman. That's not a preposterous position that someone could hold. Um, especially if you go creator owned, you know, uh, but even if I was in that position, they're, they're stepping in to try to like bring to the finish line something that was built by someone else. I just, I don't think there's ever going to be a scenario where Marvel or DC readers are cool with that. So you're building the ultimate universe. Now you've got Hickman leading it. He has to write the ultimates. Even if, and, and like, this is where it gets really tricky is now if he's writing ultimate Spider-Man and it's great and people are loving it. Do we really think He's going to write two books in this line? I don't. Then again, I'm surprised he's on an Ultimate Spider-Man. I will I will put some money down with anyone who loves to gamble that the Hickman Ultimate Spider-Man run is shorter than Brian Michael Bandis and Mark Bagley's original Ultimate Spider-Man. Just throw your money at your computer screen or your headphones, however you're consuming this, and challenge me on that one. <laughs> I, will, I will put some dough down. Um, you know, J.J. Tiffany makes a good point here. It's like the Snyder JLA movie. That's actually a really good a good comp. Zack Snyder started that, had that vision, letting bringing in Joss Whedon to finish it. Never in a million years was that going to go well. It breaks fans' brains. They want to see things through to conclusion. You know? No, no one, no one, Bernard says no one will take that bet and no one should. I'd have to give you, Will, here's the question. So the Bendis and Bagley run goes for, I mean, I don't even know, 150 something issues would be my guess. A lot of math I'm going to try to do here. Will Hickman and Chiquetto hit 10% of the Bendis and Bagley run? Let's call it 15 issues. Because I will bet they will not. I would be surprised if that happened. I hope that it does, but I'd be surprised. But anyway, I, even so, even so, I, I'm i actually, it's like on one hand, I'm just allowing myself to be excited and to enjoy the potential of Jonathan Hickman and Marco Cicchetto on a Spider-Man family book. There is definitely a part of my brain where warning bells start going off and it feels like some real massive fan service. <laughs> like, like if this was in someone else's hands, I'd be a lot more skeptical, you know, because Spider-Man fans have been clamoring, frothing at the mouth for Peter and MJ to get back together. This has been going on, I mean, for what? 20 years? No, 15. Since one more day. And Marvel just will, they tease it and they tease it and they tease it. And in the current Zeb Wells written Amazing Spider-Man run, teased it some more. And then they're pulling it away. 
Poor Zeb, by the way. Whatever you think of that, Ron, I would not <laughs> in any position want to be the guy writing the critically and fandomly reviled Spider-Man run during the announcements of superstar Jonathan Hickman and Marco Chiquetto Spider-Man family run, giving giving the people exactly what they've been clamoring for. <laughs> like, maybe it'll suck. Maybe it'll be trite. Maybe it'll be fan service in the worst degree. But right now, I would just be miserable being the person who's like, you got to be kidding me. That's going to come out during my run. And probably it's not going to suck. Okay. Um, so I'm excited for Spider-Man family stuff. There is that part of my brain that's like, is this just, is this just like catering to what everybody wants? But I kind of don't think it's going to be because why Hickman doesn't need the right of Spider-Man book. Bonafides are in place. Has to understand probably as well as anyone the dangers <laughs> of writing a Spider-Man comic probably has some ideas. I think it's safe to say it has some ideas. Um, Exile says, do you think when Hickman is done, he passes the book off to someone else to continue or he ends it on his own terms? I actually think it would be kind of cool if this Ultimate Universe was, instead of carrying on these, these massive ongoings, if they just set a more reasonable, like, 12 to 15 issue maxi series precedent you know you don't have to write a 50 issue ongoing that's really not what marvel is built to do right now increasingly like everything is a miniseries and i think the miniseries kind of sucks but it's like how about with some of the stuff you're confident in just lock in like a 12 to 15 issue maxi series then readers know like this will be a a sizable story it will be, there will be meat on the bone, um, but I'm not in this for five years on the same run. And then if you want to relaunch Ultimate Spider-Man with a new creative team, you can do that, right? Um, yeah, as Bernard says here, it doesn't feel like Hickman to cater to fandom. I I mean, he does a, li he does a little more probably than people realize, um, but I, I think some of that too is actually just having pretty good impulses about and sharing kind of like what a lot of fan tastes align around. You know, I think a really good example, and I pointed this out to a friend recently, but like I think a really good example is, remember how Hickman handled the Laura as Wolverine situation in X-Men, I think it was number five, where he was just like, no, that's a cool idea. Like, if it's a cool idea, let's roll with it. So in, in X-Men number five, he just had the character say like, yeah, Laura is Wolverine as well. And this was amidst, like, Fallen Angels calling her X-23 again, a seeming massive regression for the character. The ongoing previously had regressed the character. And Hickman, you know, that if you were looking at that and you're like, oh, that's fan service. <clears throat> it's responding to, you know, social media campaigns where people are complaining about Laura not being Wolverine. I don't think it's that. I think it's just recognizing, like, no, that's, that's a good idea. That's cool. Let's keep that. You know? So I think that's where the stuff tends to align more often. Um, yeah, as Truth Teller points out, DC has the 12-issue Tom King prestige thing figured out. Um, yeah, it doesn't always work. You know, some are a lot better than others, but you know what you're in for. You do. And it feels prestigious. The way it's packaged, the creative team's involved, it feels like a deal. You know? I'm way more likely to sign up for a Tom King 12 issues 
than a nebulous like, oh, it's a penguin ongoing. You know what I mean? I do like knowing what I'm in for. I'm excited for the Ultimate Universe. I am. I'm trying to think if there's anything else revealing or interesting in this issue. Um, again, I think if, you, if you're just looking like on a on a storytelling standpoint, you know, Ultimate Invasion and Ultimate Universe combined, it's certainly far from Hickman's best work. It does set the stage for some interesting potential books to come out of this era. Um, but I mean, you know, if the bar is hoxpox for foundation setting, you know, this is underground, right? This is this is with the Mole Man in the subterranean zone. <laughs> like it's not even close. Uh, but they're reasonable. They're reasonable reads. And uh, yeah, I will not speak once of how much they cost. That's my that's my favorite to all of you. Okay, getting your thoughts, getting your questions. I'm gonna drink a little water. Pop a couple more pain pills. We'll be on our way. Jay says, DC puts top writers on Batman. Don't know why Marvel can't do the same for Spider-Man. Uh, they're trying. <laughs> I mean, they're trying. I think, you know, it's, it's, that is a thing that is easier said than done. And, the, you know, they have to want to take the job too. Right? Um, I mean, Nick Spencer had a lot of clout and cachet at Marvel. And a lot of success to that point. I mean, Morning Glories was a big deal in the in the Image Comics renaissance of the early 2010s. I really loved that series for a while. Uh, Dan Slott had a ton of, you know, clout within Marvel. Got to write the book forever. Zeb Wells coming off of Hellions and writing for She-Hulk was having a moment. Like, at the time of the hire, that seemed like a really cool pick. Hellions was, like, arguably the best X-Men comic of this entire era. That seemed like a really cool pick. The run hasn't done it for me. They've made, you know, and, and again, too, I think it's gonna it's definitely going to be one of those runs, and I think fans already realize this, where you say, you know, the stuff I actually dislike the most is editorially driven, not really Zeb decision-making stuff. You know, there's going to be a ton of that with this run. Like, the death of Kamala occurs with this in his run. I don't hold that against Zeb. Maybe it's his idea. Maybe he fought for it. I should, I should probably hold that against him a lot, actually. Never mind. I take that back. <laughs> don't need to relitigate that point. It was horrible. But I do think they try. You know, it's not like they don't try. Um, I, I There is an argument to be made that DC is better about maybe identifying... Like, like if you're talking outside of big two comics, I guess, you know, if you ran, if you look at DC's past five Batman writers and you're like, all right, I'll give you Grant Morrison, Scott Snyder, Tom King, uh, James Tiny in the fourth, Josh Williamson had a cup of coffee and then Chip Zdarsky. And you run that up against the past five Spider-Man writers. I guess if we do amazing. It's actually not that different. J. Michael Straczynski, Dan Slott, Nick Spencer, uh, Zeb Wells. Is that right? Can we go five? If we go five, do we have to throw in Howard Mackey? I mean, I, I listen, I'm taking that DC list. They definitely have more success with those Batman runs. 
but I, I don't know. I guess if you're looking at Marvel too, it's like, all right, think of all the big names they had come through and how few of them touched Spider-Man. I mean, I guess with Bendis, you got the ultimate scene, which kind of was the flagship Spidey in a lot of ways. But, you know, Brubaker never touched Spidey. Matt Fraction never really touched Spidey. Um, Hickman. Karen Gillan's never touched Spidey. Jason Aaron. Rick Remender. Actually, if you go with the biggest names you think of for the past, like, you know, 15 years of Marvel success, like very few of them wrote Spider-Man. What, what is there to that? Why is that? Is that a lack of effort? Is that those creators saying, there's nothing in this for me? That's an interesting question. Because it should be, it should be the hottest property in town. Right? Like if you're a DC, you get the chance to be a DC writer. And you're like, all right, you can write any book you want and you want to increase your profile the most and have the, the biggest reaction. What are you going to write? You're going to write Batman. Maybe if you're a big old nerd, you pick Superman. <laughs> but probably you're going to pick Batman. At Marvel, you're going to do Daredevil. Like if you really want to have, put your stamp as a great writer, the smart pick is Daredevil. But I think a lot of that speaks to creative freedom and what you're allowed to do. Daredevil really post Frank Miller has kind of gotten to exist in this rare error of a book where creators get to step in and kind of have some have some liberty, whereas Spider-Man feels kind of consistently restricted. I, I mean, I have to think that plays a major role. I don't know. I'd be curious to talk to creators about why that is. Drew Taylor points out Hickman did play with Spidey a lot in his FF run. Spider-Man did join the Fantastic Four. In FF, you get that great Spidey and Johnny roommates issue amongst a bunch of other stuff. That's a fair point. Yeah, it's, no, it's not like it's not like it's never been touched. But, th- I mean, there is a difference between writing Spider-Man scenes and even having them on a team you're writing and writing straight-up Amazing Spider-Man. There is a big difference. Okay. What else do we got? Getting your questions. Getting your thoughts. Uh, X-Men Forever was announced today. <clears throat> got the announcement that during the House... The House of the Fall of X and the Rise of the Powers of Ten and the Rise of the Fall of X and the Powers of the House of Ten that Kieran Gillen's going to be writing a miniseries called X-Men Forever. And it is is basically going to be an Immortal X-Men addendum. I think it's four issues is going to answer the mysteries. They're going to try, <laughs> which <laughs> on one hand, I'm excited for it. It's going to be good. Kieran Gillen's going to deliver. On the other hand, it's like we ran out of time and rather than leave all these, let, rather than let Dave create a top 15 unsolved mysteries of the Krakoa era, we are going to try to rapid fire cram in a bunch of them. <laughs> like, you know, it, it, it definitely has that, that odor to it. That said, hell yeah to more Kieran Gillen comics and hell yeah to more Immortal X-Men extension. I had the thought today, we're talking about who the Dominion might be, you know? Is it one of the Sinisters? I had the thought today, the very first issue of Immortal X-Men. <coughs> Pardon me. Which is a fantastic first issue. Has the tease of Destiny and Mr. Sinister meeting on a park bench. Sitting on a park bench. Dun, 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 dun. A little Jethro Tull for you. Um, sitting on a park bench in Paris 1919. John Cale for you. And 
Destiny whispers to Mr. Sinister, You're a ghost, fa la 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 la. You're a ghost, fa la 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 la. Very loud whisper. That has not been explained. That's a mystery that I'd like Karen to revisit. It had me thinking, is Destiny the Dominion? And it's been sitting right in front of us this whole time. It kind of makes sense. Destiny knows about Moira. Destiny's the only, like one of the only people who kind of knows Moira's deal. You know, they uncover that. She's kind of got a sense of things. Is a major player in this era. Could Destiny just be sitting there as the Dominion from a previous life this whole time? That's why she can't see the futures? It works. And then if you're talking about, like, what does your ghost mean? It could just mean that, like, well, I've already decided everything. And everyone, to me, is a ghost. Just playing out these parts in the roles that I've set for them. I mean, Destiny Dominion, too, is the only way that she gets to have Mystique forever which she keeps failing at in these stories that we're seeing because now she's outside of space and time and she gets to live forever. I'm just throwing it out there. Throwing it out there. Okay. All right. Any other X-Men Forever thoughts? Um, Bill says, could X-Men Forever by Karen Gillan and Luca Maresca act as the final issues of Mortal X-Men? I mean, I think that's exactly what it is. Like every every indication from the from the press says, you know, that's that's what it is. It's just going to be called X-Men Forever 1 to 4. Which is a classic Marvel move to be like, hey, those <laughs> instead of instead of allowing readers 5 years from now to simply continue reading Immortal X-Men number 19, we will make them find a new series called X-Men Forever and realize it is an extension of this book. Couldn't be simpler. Let's see. Nobody except me says, what about the alternate timelines? What about the Moira lives? I need it all. Nobody. That ship, it is sailing away. Come sail away. Come sail away. Come sail away with me, Moira. I'd hop on a boat with Moira. Just so you all know. I would hop on that boat. Not great at boats. Don't really know how to drive them. Get a little seasick. But if Moira came to me and said, listen, I'll tell you about my lives. All you got to do is hop on this boat. I'm hopping on that boat. I would do it. Let's see. Warren says, why do the Sinisters want to be a Dominion so bad? Power. You know, Dominion, as it has been framed here, is the ultimate in power and deciding the fates of others. And I think Mr. Sinister as a character is kind of all about controlling every aspect of everyone else in their own image. And Dominion gives you that chance beyond time and space. Let's see. Nobody except me says, need some Moira Redemption as well in there somehow. Oh, do we have time for Moira Redemption? I, I'll tell you what. I would not, at this point, Having seen it flubbed this badly, I would not be altogether bothered if the House of the Rise of the Powers of House did not include Moira at all. I would actually not be bothered. 
I would not be sitting there like, where's Moira? I would understand. <laughs> I would get it. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you, you messed this one up. You whiffed. It's over. Move along. New ideas. That's, that won't happen. I mean, do they, do they really think they can cram Moira Redemption into these 12 issues? There's no effing way, right? I just, I, I'm, al- I'm already getting hot and flustered. Don't talk to me about Moira anymore. It's too emotional. It's too emotional. There are like three things in my life that I'm too emotional about. And Moira is all three of them. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it without getting upset. Oh, man. My wife asked me three times a week, who's Moira? You're, are you thinking about Shit's Creek again? Keep saying her name in your sleep. She's not mad either. She's just like, what's, what have I got myself into? <laughs> what, what do I do about this? Oh, boy. Chris Cuevas suggests dupe minion again, which is, I, I mean, honestly, just punk us. Just punk our asses. That'd be fine. Chris also says no more singing old people songs. How dare you? Sticks is timeless. How effing dare you? Chris, you've brought more sticks upon the people. Your comments today have brought more sticks into our lives. Anyone else in high school get into classic rock by way of sticks? Anyone else also listen to Renegade and think they were an all-black rock band? Because I'm going to guess that one's just me. <laughs> I, was, I was off. Look up a picture of sticks and you'll see what I mean. Dennis DeYoung, Chicago native. Go Bears. All right. What are the questions we got? What are the thoughts? I'm getting loopy. I think the pains, the painkiller shop are popping, taking hold here of your poor beleaguered dental surgery surviving host today. All right. We can finish with MCU thoughts. I'm going to scan these questions. First, we're going to drink water. Vass says, no thanks for Moira Redemption. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of with you. I think the time has passed. What else? In Ewing We Trust, says nobody except me. That's true. It's true. In Ewing We Trust, X-Men Red's going to stay good. It's going to give us uh, Resurrection of Magneto. I'm excited about. Ooh, Truth Teller's scaring me here. Any half attempt at a Moira ending would be in Duggan and Wernick's court. Let's just, just leave it alone. Just leave it be. She did skin our boy. That's true. I forgot she skinned Banshee. <laughs> Gosh, they flubbed that. Oh, man. So I listened to uh, the Bill Simmons podcast. I have since like a while now for sports stuff and NBA commentary. And one thing he can't stop himself from bringing up is Oklahoma City trading James Harden. Comes up like once an episode in sports conversations. And this happened in 2012. That's Moira for me. Like the James Harden trade is without question the Moira botch job by the ex office. And it goes back before Inferno. Like people want to blame uh, the, the lives and deaths of Wolverine. It, it was, it was botched before that. Remember how they wouldn't touch the character and it seemed kind of cool and mysterious. Now she's an X-Men unlimited comics and she's a robot cackling. <laughs> like, like this whole thing was botched, man. House of X number two is like straight up. One of the best Marvel comics of all time. It really is. Anyway, that's my hardened trade. Okay. 
JJ asks, can you explain how a Dominion has not been noticed by a 616 Cosmic God or a Beyonder? No, those are things I cannot explain. I cannot explain a lot, really anything to do with the Beyonders. Um, and I definitely can't explain like the relationship between eternity, let's say, and a Dominion. They haven't touched that. I don't think they have an answer. Don't think about it. <laughs> Just let it be. Banksy says, X-Men 28? Question mark? I haven't read it. Anything interesting happen? You write it down here. I'll share it with the people. Okay. All right. Let's talk MCU. Banksy says here, all hail doom. I want to talk about this idea. There was in these, in the many reported uh, things that came out about the MCU, there was talk of King the Conqueror being a botched experiment. In part because of Jonathan Major's legal troubles and the alleged domestic abuse and, you know, tying the MCU to, to him as the big bad. But then also just like the character in general, you know, which I do – Listen, Kang has never been a successful Marvel Universe-wide villain in the comics. Hasn't happened. Even identifying the best Kang comics is a struggle. There actually aren't that many particularly good ones. Kind of a... He's kind of interesting just by virtue of connecting to time travel as opposed to having a ton of merit in and of himself. I do think it was an interesting approach to tie Kang to Secret Wars and, and multiversal incursions. I think that works. Um, I would also really heavily argue that the problem with this MCU phase and, and a perceived superhero fatigue and all that has very little to do with the only good part of Ant-Man Quantumania, <laughs> which was Kang. Like, that was the only good part of that movie. Kang is, Kang is not the problem, I don't think. I saw people suggesting, uh, oh, just replace him with Doctor Doom, that they're considering... Like, oh, if we get Dr. Doom in there, then we're good. Can't, it's just it's that it's Kang and that if it was Doom, we'd be fine. Listen, you will find fewer bigger Dr. Doom fans, okay? Um, there are not that many. I love Dr. Doom. Because I love Dr. Doom, I do not want him in this mess. How, how does injecting a great character who has been bespoiled – Twice now, in two Fantastic Four attempts, thrice if you count Roger Corman, which actually was the best of the bunch, um, how, does, how does injecting him into aimless waters, into troubled waters, set the stage for the proper Doctor Doom experience that we are all deserving? All it does is muddy Doom. You're getting, you're getting dirt on that armor. You're getting crumbs. In between the rivets, you're rusting his mask. Leave the poor doctor alone until you're ready. And then you can come talk to him. Okay? Don't inject my doom into this mess. Figure it out first. That's not going to save anything. How's that going to save anything? Absolutely not. Now, you want to fix this thing and right the ship? You want to get a center and a core back to this universe? Here's a crazy idea. My craziest idea, try an Avengers movie. Have, do you think they've tried, have they talked about trying an Avengers movie? It is the flagship property 
of the MCU. Since 2019 Avengers Endgame, there has not been an Avengers movie. There has not been talk (laughs) of an Avengers movie. There is no Avengers team. Why not? Why not? I saw part of the report from this thing that was going around yesterday was they're thinking about bringing back the original Avengers, reviving (laughs) Black Widow and Iron Man in order to save the thing. Because the new one's not working. There is no new one. There has not been a new Avengers team assembled. You've got the parts. You didn't get rid of all of them. Hulk, what is Hulk doing? What what is Hulk doing right now? Jerking off in a tiki hut he built? That's what Hulk is doing right now. Okay? Hulk's not busy. Sam Cap is available. Guarantee you he's Anthony Mackie's doing uh, you know, Peacock exclusive movies. He's available. Thor, Captain Marvel. We have an Avengers team. Shang-Chi spoke to him once. Wong's in the mix. Doc Strange is available. What are they doing? Just making a doing Avengers thing. We have no core. There's no core because there's no Avengers, and there's no good reason for there not to be an Avengers. All I'm saying is that if you want to say we need to revive the old Avengers first, you have to at least have tried a new Avengers. You have to have made the effort. Have some bites of your new Avengers, and then we can talk about making you something else to eat. Okay? That's all I need. That's all I need. Don't bring Dr. Doom into that. You can't even put together an Avengers? You're telling me you're gonna you're ready for Doom? You are not ready for Doom. Those little cookie monsters. You are not ready for Doom? What do you think you're doing? Maybe that's more Grover. We'll work on that one. Get out of town, you clowns. Okay? We got no Fantastic Four yet. We got no X-Men yet. We're not ready for Doom. In no world are you ready for Doom. You can have Doom when you've done your homework. Okay? Those are my thoughts on the MCU. <laughs> it is. I'm like, I'm definitely nowhere near as invested as I once was. I don't think I'm alone in that. Um, I do think a huge part of that is a little fatigue of the cookie cutterness of it. But it is also just like they've been victory lapping for years. They've been victory lapping for years. And at some point, within the last two, they should have really actively started moving the needle again. You know? I think they were way too confident and way too comfortable that this gravy train would last forever. And obviously it wasn't going to. Now, some of the damage done is definitely not just the MCU's fault. Right? DC releasing just, like, no plan and just completely disconnected mixtures of trash and and who knows what. I think really muddies the, really intensifies the superhero fatigue that folks are feeling, you know, culturally. Especially when you have the fandoms who like don't even, or the fandoms, but the moviegoers who are like, I don't know the difference between DC and Marvel, I don't care. And now they're seeing Blue Beetle and they're like, what is this? What does this have to do with anything? Blue Beetle might be the good one too. I think the Flash is the one that's critically reviled. I haven't seen any of those. I can't imagine 10 years ago, you talking to me and being like, hey, have you seen Blue Beetle and Flash? And me, being, and me saying, no, and I don't plan to. That's a, that's a change. That's a sea change. Um, on the MCU side, I'm like, I'll probably catch up on Loki. You know? Um, I never finished Secret Invasion. I'll see the Marvels eventually, but I'm not necessarily, like, 
opening weekend. Need to see it. Nothing feels like a need. There's no urgency. So I'm kind of I'm glad to see the report. Not that we didn't know the MCU was struggling, but I'm glad to see something reported about it because it is like they should be feeling pressure. They should be feeling urgency. You know, this sense of like, oh, we'll release the X-Men in 2028 and that'll save our bacon. It's like you can't wait that long for this stuff. They need to feel some urgency. They haven't had competition. They finally have some of that. That'll help. That will help. Um, Bunk says it's all new, all different again. I, I mean, it, it is definitely the exact same experience in so many ways. In so many ways. I mean, diversity, getting blamed for the faults of mediocrity. That happens in both. And it sucks. You have an amazing ending and then trying to have your cake and eat it too of continuing the elements that came before but also adding in lots of new things and having none of them go in the same direction. (laughs) They're all just splintered in this aimless mess. And then just a lot of creative concepts and visions that aren't working and a lot of mediocrity. You know? All new, all different. Like, Tom King, Gabriel uh, Hernandez's vision comes out then. Donny Cates, Ryan Stegman, or Ryan Stegman, uh, Jeff Shaw, Thanos wins. Comes out after that. I think technically that's Marvel Legacy. But close. Moon Knight, Jeff Lemire, uh, Smallwood, Greg Smallwood. That comes out in that era. Good stuff came out. It's not like good things didn't happen. You know, Spider-Man No Way Home was a really good movie-going experience for me. Um... I liked WandaVision a lot. Good stuff has come out. It's not that it hasn't happened. But yes, incredibly similar vibes. Incredibly similar vibes. And I think, I don't know if this was true for All New, All Different. I'd have to look at it again. But with the MCU in particular, it's like just zero urgency. And they should be feeling some. They should feel like they have to win people back. And they didn't feel that way because they didn't. They made a gajillion dollars on Endgame. I get it. All right, what do we got? Birdnerd says Loki's lagging. There's no urgency. See, that does not. I watched the first episode. That makes me concerned now. Should I just jump? Should I jump ahead? Do I need to watch all of it? Should I just jump up to like the most recent episode? That's how I feel about the MCU now. I'm just like, should I like skip every third episode or something? Um, I did finally give up on the on potentially going back to Secret Evasion. I'm seeing some people telling me don't bother watching. Um, I did finally just read the wiki, which is the first time I've done that with an MCU thing. Let's see. Nobody except me says, uh, I'm telling you, as long as the Deadpool Wolverine trailer is good, everyone's going to be back in. See, I think the problem with that is actually very similar to the challenge, the problem that Guardians of the Galaxy 3 had. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I thought was a really good movie. I really liked it. It did nothing to further my reinterest or uh, excitement about the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it connected, it most heavily connected to the old guard, to the MCU that had come before, right? It was an ending for a Guardians trilogy that was a part of the initial wave. It was not a part of the new movement or a new thing. I think Deadpool and Wolverine's going to feel like that too. You know, it's a, it's a nostalgia fest and a continuation of a Deadpool series that is newer, but it's not about what, what what does that say about building, how the MCU is building forward? You know, which like, I'm not saying that as a complaint of Guardians. It's a good thing that it wasn't that. It didn't need to be. But I'm saying those are the, those are the highlights now. 
our calls back to the old guard, that's a terrible thing for where we're at currently. Bunk says, I wonder what White Vision is up to these days. White Vision is definitely wearing a backwards cap that could be mistaken for a do-rag and singing sticks. <laughs> That's what the White Vision is up to. What else do we got? Loki is mostly intense button pressing. Oh, you guys are selling it. You guys are selling How did you know intense button pressing was my thing? It's my favorite thing to watch, and it's my kink. Love it. Intense button pressing. What else do we got? Warren says, really hate that we're relying on nostalgia to boost movie audience attendances. I mean, that's that's a problem. That's a problem for sure. And that's like the diminishing returns on that. I mean, good grief. I, I really think that peaked with No Way Home. I kind of don't want to see it again with the exception of obviously Hugh Jackman's going to be in Deadpool 3. But like all these people are talking, you know, secret, oh, secret wars, you can bring everyone back. Yeah, do, uh, you know, reference all the, the movies that came out in the 2000s to be so cool. No, it is not. It's going to be horrible. I don't just want to be sitting there doing the Chris Farley. Oh, remember that? That sounds miserable. No, thank you. No, thank you. Okay. Let's see. Timothy says, I'm struggling to get through Loki. Warren says, watch all of Loki. You can maybe skip the second episode. Says it was worth it. Nobody says, bruh, Loki. Episode four was great. Can't wait for the next. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make my way through it. I can do that much. I, I mean, I like the first Loki. I can try to make it through this. All right. Any final questions or thoughts? Get them in now. We're going to end this. Bunk says, honestly, who's the target market for the Marvels? Uh, MCU fans. I don't, I don't think that's... That doesn't seem especially challenging. Right? I mean, I think, you know, part of the challenge that that movie has is two of the most interesting characters, two of the three leads were introduced in Disney Plus series to varying degrees of success. And I just don't, I don't think Disney Plus had anywhere near the, the like cultural imprint that the MCU probably thought it was going to have. You know, um, I do think too, like I think Carol Danvers is a more interesting character with Avengers connections. And because there's no Avengers and there's no core to this, you now have yet another borderline standalone franchise kind of aimlessly doing its thing. Those are characters in a, in a series, in a world that benefits from ties to a center that do not exist right now, I think. You know? I mean, I can't imagine a world where the Marvels does especially well. And again, it's going to be this thing where then the wrong kinds of people are going to blame diversity for relative mediocrity and problems that are well outside that mix, such as not having a center or an Avengers franchise. This is why it is always a problem, in my view, when Marvel waits to diversify until after they've had <laughs> their, you know, unshakable success. And now that they're in the middle of a quagmire, they say, oh, shouldn't have diversified. Look, it's not working. Yeah, because you wait. <laughs> you wait until after things are good. Just integrate it into the process when things are going well. Okay. What do we got? Okay. Where are we? Oh, we're over time. Good grief. All right, let's quick. Quick. What's good? What's good? Roaming. Graphic novel. Jillian Tamaki. Mariko Tamaki. Sisters. 
wrote This One Summer. Um, Mariko wrote Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. Also wrote a bunch of DC stuff recently. Jillian Tamaki's a fantastic cartoonist. Uh, this is, if you like Slice of Life and you like the year 2009 and you like New York City, read Romy. Great graphic novel. It's out from, what is this, Toronto Corley? Toronto Corley releases pretty much nothing but good stuff. Good graphic novel. The comic I've been enjoying the most of any comic in the world right now, Mr. Invincible. Okay, I'm not talking about Invincible by Robert Kirkman and, and Ryan Otley and team. I'm talking Mr. Invincible. This was recommended to you by my fantastic co-host Charlotte on My Marvel This Year. Holy guacamole. This comic is so fun. This Mr. Invincible superhero powers are to use the medium of comics however he wants. He can jump between panels. It plays with time and space, the way comic stories are told so inventively. This is by a French artist, Pascal uh, Jocelyn. It's so good. It is so good. If you, I had not heard of Mr. Invincible. It's apparently within the last six years. Um, there is, there is in fact an American uh, English version translation. Uh, oh my gosh. Read, everyone should read this. Go buy a copy of Mr. Invincible. Get it from your local library. You will thank me. Final recommended read. Diaries of War. Way less fun than Mr. Invincible. <laughs> fun is not the point. Diaries of War. It, it's barely a comic. It is the left page has texts and and written experiences, diaries from a Ukrainian citizen. The right page has the same from a Russian citizen, and they both give perspectives one day at a time for, I, I think, I don't know, 60 weeks about the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, I am finding myself reading a lot of comics and graphic novels that tap into the various horrifying, very scary wars in the world. It helps me to uh, personally kind of ground myself in the human experience of what is happening and the thinking and why these things happen and how we get to these points. Um, if that sounds of interest to you, just getting those perspectives, Diaries of War is has been a really interesting one. Um, at times, it's tremendously sad. It's heavy, obviously. It's talking about war. It's talking about loved ones dying. It's talking about being separated from families. Uh, it's really tough. Um, but obviously not as tough as actually living through it. So I recommend that one as well. Okay, that's what's good in comics this week. We'll be back next week to do more. Let's see, do we have any finally final thoughts? Do, 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 do. Uh, two final questions. JJ asked Dave question, did the family and you dress up for Halloween? Yes, I went as the Avengers. I had an Iron Man mask, a Captain America hat, a Spider-Man sweatshirt and Black Panther pajama pants when you don't have a costume ready and you can just wear what is lying around the house and call it a costume. That is a win. I did that. My boys had a custom homemade Pokemon costumes. We had a Greninja and a Inteleon. They looked amazing. And uh, the youngest was a tiny dinosaur. And, uh, and next year, next year, I have finally committed. I even bought the mask. I'm going as Dr. Doom. I'm doing it. I've been talking about it for years. I'm 100% going as Dr. Doom next Halloween. Final question from Chris. Ever read the Inkel? Yes, I have. I love Mobius. The art is amazing. I think it's incredibly overrated, and I don't like it very much. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. I'll see you next week. Enjoy the comics.